My name is Brett. I'm pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests. Welcome. Glad to have you in the house. We're going to talk today about what it means to prepare to build. Turn with me over to 1 Chronicles chapter 22. 1 Chronicles chapter 22. We're going to look at verses 3 through 5 and then 14 through 16. The title of the message is Preparation to Build. 1 Chronicles 22, 3 through 5, and then 14 through 16. It says of David that David prepared large quantities of iron to make the nails for the doors of the gates and for the clamps, and more bronze than could be weighed, and timbers of cedar logs beyond number. For, for the Sidonians and the Tyrians brought large quantities of cedar timber to David. And David said, verse 5, My son Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house of the Lord to be built for the Lord shall be exceedingly magnificent, famous, and glorious throughout all lands. Therefore, now I will make preparation for it. So David made ample preparations before his death. Verse 14, he's now speaking to Solomon. And he says, Now behold, with great pains I have prepared for the house of the Lord 100,000 talents of gold and 1 million talents of silver and bronze and iron beyond weight for they are in great quantity. Also timber and stone I have prepared and you may add to them. Verse 15. Moreover, there are many workmen with you, stone cutters and masons of stone and carpenters and all men who are skillful in every kind of work. Of the gold, verse 16, of silver and bronze and iron, there is no limit. Arise and work, and may the Lord be with you. Lord, help us as we study. As many of you know, David is an unusual character in Scripture. The Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. That this was a guy who decided it, it wasn't just enough to do what was written, to figure out how I could just, on the, on the basic level, the remedial level, be right with God, looking at print on a page. I, I got to find out God's heart, the stuff that's in between the lines. What is he thinking? How can I make him happy? What can I do to bring a smile to his face every day? David was a man who pursued God's heart. And in the New Testament, the beauty of redemption is that all we have about David's life is the good part. He made a couple of mistakes, and we're going to review one of them today. And they were big mistakes. But as we pass through, if you will, the cross, God only remembers the good part with us. All the other stuff, B.C., before Christ, is pretty much intentionally forgotten. It's not that he develops amnesia. He just chooses not to apply it to apply it to us any longer. And in David's desire to seek after God's heart, we find here that that included preparation for something that God did not require. There's nothing in Scripture that said God required build me a house. Nothing. This David woke up one day and said, you know, as he was looking around at his surroundings, and he had a beautiful palace. I mean, beautiful kingly because he was a king looking at his palace he looked and said you know I'm living in a palace but my guys over here living in a tent they were still in the, the era of Moses 
Moses' tent dwelling for God, which was roughly about 20 by 40. You could fit a couple of them in here. And there was the table of showbread and the Ark of the Covenant and the candelabra and the altar of incense. It was what God prescribed, but David said, hmm, something's not right. I can't dwell in my palace while God lives in a tent. I've got to do something. And thus, he began to make preparations for this building. Now, the problem was that, was that the Lord would not let him build. He said, I want to do something great for God. And he talked to his prophet, Nathan. And Nathan said, go ahead, God's with you. Build that house. And Nathan walked on back to where he was from and went to bed, and God began to speak to him. He said, ah, you spoke out of turn. I don't want David to build my house. His son will build it, but he won't. Go back and tell him. So he went back and, and told him. And David said, well, I'm still going to make preparation. Now, we'll put a comma there as we continue on with the message and get back to that point. David, sometime around the last third of his kingly reign in time, he reigned for 40 years over Israel. In those 40 years, did pretty well, but made a couple of big mistakes, as I said before. One with Bathsheba and, and Uriah, her husband, horrible. The second was numbering the people, which is found in 1 Chronicles 21, the chapter preceding this. And he woke up one day and said, I, I, I feel it's, it's time for me to figure out how many soldiers I've got. And when, he, when he was talking about numbering the people, he, he, because the information given about what was numbered didn't have anything to do with the general populace, but it had to do with the number of soldiers available, you get the sense that David was trying to figure out, what does my, what does my strength look like? He was posing in the mirror with his military might. Now, God doesn't have any problem with numbers. There's a whole book in the Bible called Numbers. We know there were 12 disciples. He doesn't have any problem with numbers. What he does have a problem with is people numbering for the wrong reason. And David was just <clears throat> getting his ego stroked by the number of folks he had to do battle. And he had forgotten that God did not choose Israel because they were, they were numerous. If that were the case, he would have chosen somebody else. He doesn't need them to be large in order to bring victory about on, on their behalf. Numbers mean nothing to him. But David went out and decided to do it, even against the counsel of Joab, who was his commander of the army. And Joab took nine months, better part of ten months, to go around and number all the people in Israel who were in the army, came back with a number. And then the prophet Gad, who was a contemporary of Nathan, who was David's prophet, came to him and said, you really blew it. Because of this, you're going to suffer. Now you get, you get your choice of which judgment you want. That's not the kind of message you want to hear from God. You get your choice of which judgment you want. Three years of famine, three months of your enemies vanquishing you and beating your tail. Or three days of pestilence from the Lord. Choose. It says that David went and prayed and after a period of time came back and said, I'd rather fall into the hands of God than the hands of man. And so indeed the Lord came. 70,000 people died as a result of a pestilence that went throughout the land. David came with his elders and his leaders in sackcloth. He wasn't in royal garb. And he was walking from one place to another. And as he passed this place called Ornan's property, 
or Arana's property, Ornan and Arana, like Robert and Bob, same person. As he passed the property, there was the angel of the Lord standing there with, with, with sword drawn, and he was scared to death. Now, this is the first time that David has ever seen a supernatural manifestation of God on the earth. Now, the angel was not God, but it was a manifestation of his authority as, as going beyond human revelation. This angel appeared, and, and by the way, I don't know what the Renaissance artists were doing, but angels don't have anything to do with fat babies and wings. <laughs> nothing. There's nothing in the Bible that says there's anything close to that. They are ominous beings, frightful in their appearance. Now, they can appear as human beings and be just natural, i.e., when Mary saw the angel, she was not overly whelmed, over, overly overwhelmed by the presence of the angel that came and told her, you're going to bear a baby this time next year. And so he looked like a human being, normal conversation. But when they appear without the veil, without human appearance, oh, they are amazing and frightful. Here was this angel drawn. And this is the David who ran toward a nine-foot giant to kill him. He sees this angel. He gets down on his face, scared to death. All of his elders do the same. And God says, on this place right here, I want you to sacrifice to me. I want you to build an altar, and I want you to sacrifice to me to stop this plague. And indeed, he does so. And God answers by fire when he builds this altar. Now, the, the, the man who owned it, named Ornan, came to David and said, you can have it if you want. He said, no, 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 no. I am not going to sacrifice anything to God that doesn't cost me something. Then it's not a sacrifice to God. All I am is a pass-through fella. I have to pay for it. So he paid Ornan in our dollars, about 300000 for the threshing floor and the threshing floor was the processing plant if you will for all the harvested grain and he built an altar there and sacrificed and then it says the Lord answered by fire from heaven now that only happened a couple of times in scripture most of the time the priest or the offerer was to light the fire underneath the altar in order to see it consumed and cooked only a few times with Elijah that would be later Solomon his son would be later happened with Moses earlier and one time with with uh, Samuel, the prophet. But it doesn't happen every day. That's not the normal way that, that the sacrifices are consumed. When David saw that, whew, he was just, he was blown away. But he was happy that the Lord had accepted his offering. Now, as a result of this moment, David has a revelation. Now, you have to understand something about the Old Testament. Most people believe that when God showed up in this kind of form, and David had never seen this before, he'd never had a supernatural manifestation of an angel in his life or God like this. The prophets had spoken to him, yes. The things that he had done to secure the land for the people of Israel, no less supernatural, but he'd never seen God like this ever in his life. And the Lord did not kill him while he was there, but indeed spared the entire nation from judgment. And so in the Old Testament, people had a mindset that said, when, when I appear in a place and the Lord shows up there, that specific spot is like a porthole through into glory. And, and God can come and manifest himself on the earth. This is where God lives. This is like a doorway in this spot. Do you remember Jacob as he was running from his, his brother Esau? And he spent the first night out in the wilderness. As he was sleeping, he saw an, a, a ladder with angels ascending and descending upon this ladder. And, and by the way, just FYI, 
that's represent, representative of how you need to be on a regular basis with respect to trying to figure out what in the world God is doing on your, in your life while you are still on the earth. Meaning, you need to climb that ladder, hear from God on a regular basis, and then come on back down and do what he says. That's the only way you're going to figure it out. And Jacob needed to understand exactly what God was doing in his life because it was going to be tough for the next 25, 30 years. He was going to have to use that ladder to get up there. God, how does this make any sense? He was about to go to a guy that was going to change his wages 10 times and never give him a raise. How does this make any sense? Where is the blessing of God in this? He was going to have to go up there, get perspective, come back down and still live right, even though he didn't like the perspective he got. That's what the ladder is for. Well, he said this when he woke up. I have come to some place I didn't know. This is the house of God. He called it Bethel. And he thought that that was the place, the portal, that spot where God would manifest himself on a regular basis. And he built an altar there. David was no different. Such that from chapter 21 in 1 Chronicles to 22, which is 1 Chronicles 21 is what I said about the, the judging of the people as, and, and, and plague and the numbering. And then 22, the first verse in 22 says, and the house of God will be built here. So it's a continuation. David thought, boy, the Lord answered by fire. An angel showed up. This is where we are going to build God's home. Now, two things I want to talk to you about after that long preface. Where you build and with what you build. Where you build and with what you build. It says that David decided to build where God met him. He'd never seen, like, never seen God like that before. Has God met you here? Have you found him here in a unique way? Has he helped your marriage? Has he confirmed or maybe initiated a calling you didn't know you had? Has he helped your kids? Have your children gotten born again through Ken's ministry over there in the, the, the children's ministry? Or maybe in the 180 with Eddie and, and Stephen and Michelle? Have your children been helped there? Have you found that you've met God in your workplace as a result of the exhortations you've received here on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night? Have you been more intimate with him? Has God met you here? Then this is probably a really good place for you to start to build something. To begin to put some bricks on his house. Come on. David said, I'm going to build the house of God right here where he has met me. Now, it's not that God only lives here. We probably are a very meager version of the kingdom in the earth. There are other places that may do things much better than us. The issue is not comparison. The issue is, has he met you? I am not the best preacher. I'm not even the best leader. Not close. Never could be compared with that. But I might be your best. That's all I can say. I might be your best. It's kind of like that spouse you're married to. That job you got, that friend you have. Oh, they may not be the best, but they're your best. They're the ones that God has appointed to help you become what you need to be. I'm your best. This church is your best. If you've been met here by Almighty God, then you probably need to put one brick upon another and build something for him. Secondly, he sacrificed in that spot. Have you sacrificed here and felt the fire of God fall upon your efforts? Have you been on the mission field and come back thinking, I don't want to go to work no more. Boy, I mean, he fell upon me over there in Africa. 
He hit me when I was in Mexico and I ministered gospel. I saw people healed. I saw folk talking tongues, laid hands on them, filled with the Holy Ghost. The Lord ministered to me like in ways I've never seen before. I don't want to go. To, how do I get in this full-time ministry thing? Has he fallen upon your sacrifice? Have you served over in the children's ministry? Have you been over to Yorkshire Elementary? where we adopted a school and seeing kids saved and tutored and found yourself unusually empowered by God to help folk? Have you served as an usher? Have you been down here and served as part of the leadership team that helps people pray after Sunday morning and seen people transformed in this spot? Oh, the testimonies we have at our staff meeting are amazing. Pastor Donnell Pastor David Hermes, they come in with folk who were barren women that couldn't have babies and now got two. Have you seen God fall upon your sacrifice and power? Then you probably need to put a brick upon another to build something for him. David said, this is where I'm going to do it. He fell upon my sacrifice and he met me here. That's where I'm going to build. Secondly, with what? As I said before, David had such a heart to do the will of God, but it, 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 he, just, he just didn't wake up with it. He didn't just wake up with it. It was nurtured. You got to understand from whence this, this man came. Samuel gets the word that Saul is unfit to be king anymore. Saul is presently king. He says, God does to, to Samuel, I want you to go to Jesse's house. Samuel's a resident prophet in the land. Go to Jesse's house, and I want you to anoint one of his boys as king. Doesn't tell him which one. Just says anoint one of his boys as king. So Samuel goes to Jesse's house, sends word, says, prepare for me. I'm coming. Let's have a party. It's going to be a great moment. Jesse calls his boys in, and there's Eliab, tall, good-looking guy. Not like me at all. I mean, he, it's head and shoulders kind of guy. A whole lot like Saul, the previous king. Probably about 6'4", you know, going by 220, running 4'4". Just an amazing guy. <laughs> amazing guy. Samuel looks right at him, and God says, uh-uh. I haven't chosen him. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. I've rejected him. Samuel's learning a lesson through this because he chose Saul. Now, God chose Saul, but Saul looked like this guy. So Samuel's learning through this. And then he goes to the next one, Abinadab. God said, nope. Goes to the next one, Shammah. Nope. Four more after that, seven. And, and God says no on all of them. And now God told Samuel that he's supposed to have a, a, a man in Jesse's house to be king. And Samuel's sitting there thinking, now I know I heard from God, told this man to bring his boys before me, but none of them God is anointing. Do you know how awkward it is for a prophet now to say to a father who is supposed to have brought all his boys before him, um, you got any more boys? That's just weird to say. Do, do you have, because I know, I, God told me what he, and you brought all your, but none of them, do, do, do you have any more? Jesse says, I got, I got one. 
he, he's the run of the litter out keeping the sheep. David? Him? Bring him before me. We're not going to sit down and eat till he gets here. Brings him in. Samuel says, this is the one God has called. Jesse and all the seven brothers are just like, you got to be kidding. You got to be kidding me. Him. This man was the most influential man in all of the Middle East. And if God were with him and he lived in our world today, he would be the most influential man in the world. And his parents didn't think anything of him. His brothers disdained him. Have you ever been overlooked? Have you ever been that person that nobody thought could do anything? That everybody always saw somebody else taking your job? Have you been that person that people called incompetent, incapable, and incapable? Have you found yourself derided by man yet anointed by God and the Lord blessed you here? David says, I know from whence I came. And I know that nobody thought I could do anything. And here I am leading the entire nation and being blessed by God of all leaders of the most important people on the planet. I got to do something for him. He had a heart that was cultivated because he knew from whence he came that this wasn't natural, that God chose him and cultivated with him a thanksgiving and a willingness to honor him for what he had done all by himself when nobody else thought it was possible. Secondly, with what did he build? He didn't only build with a heart that wanted to do something, but he built with great pain. That's not Brett's commentary. That's what David said in verse 14 of what we read. Great pain. I have with great pain made preparations for the house of God. It's not supposed to feel good. I know we we Christians in America think that the Lord is supposed to bless us so we can feel good about life. And we can get on with our career and our, our, our opportunities and our potential and our dreams and visions. I got it. But, but hear me, the first place to which we come as Christians is the cross. There's nothing comfortable about being a Christian. It starts with pain. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you want to be my disciple, if you want to take on my name and be identified with me, pick up your cross first. This isn't a philosophical discussion. I'm not asking you just to mentally assent to what I believe to, to be true. I'm asking you to die for me. That's number one. You can't come to that place, you can't be me. Be with me. It's all about pain. David said, with great pain I have laid aside preparations for the house of my God. The money that we need for our building is not supposed to fit in your budget. Come on, now. It's not supposed to fit in your budget. You're trying to figure out, well, how can I make it? it you can't make it work. You're supposed to sacrifice. It's not supposed to be in your bank account. If it is, give it. <laughs> Listen, I am not shy about asking folk for money. I'm not. Because I use it right. We are not opulent here. We, we practice excellence, excellence, but we do not practice opulence. We're not wasting folks' money. We're trying to take every dime and make it count for the kingdom. Amen. 
So I'm not ashamed of asking for money. And we are not a church that always does so, trying to bleed you dry. We're trying to figure out how in the world to get you prosperous by giving. Because when God finds somebody through whom he can bring his resources, all he does is bring more. It's not supposed to feel good. David said with great pain, and this was a wealthy man. And then he gave his material resources. Now, you're going to have to bear with me on this. Because I I worked my calculator like five times on this number. Because I couldn't believe the number I saw. David said he gave 100,000 talents of gold. Now, one talent is 100 pounds of anything. It's a unit of measure. So if you take 100,000 talents, which is 100 thousand one hundred pounds that's ten million pounds and then you take it just in our dollars today gold was different back then it wasn't worth as much but in our dollars today you then multiply that by about fourteen hundred dollars an ounce which gold is and there are sixteen ounces in every pound I did this five times accountants please help me if I'm wrong it worked out to two hundred and forty two billion dollars that's alien with a B Two hundred and forty-two B. That, we're not talking about. We're not talking about the national debt. Help me. The national budget. We're talking about for a house. For a house, two hundred and forty-two billion dollars worth of resource. That's just in gold. That's not in cedar. Y- y'all ever built anything with cedar? It ain't cheap. Iron, copper, oh my, 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 my. Great pains I have laid aside these resources. This is a man who was wealthy and said, I'm still going to do it to where I feel like I have sacrificed something great because God has done great things for me. This is what it, it takes to build something great. Something great. And I'm not looking to you. I'm looking through you. If I'm looking to you, we're sunk. Because you ain't got it. But I know God can move through you. I'm looking to God to move through you, to do something beyond you. And while he's doing it for us, he does it for you. Now, the reason we need all this money in cash is because I don't want to go into debt. We own this present building. We're trying to pay that off in a hurry. We've done everything we know how to do. Refi, all of it. And we're in a pretty good spot. We've got a plan to pay it off. But our economy around the world is a mess, y'all. It seems to be better now in America than it was eight years ago. But that's only because we just made more money. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about the government. Literally made more money. Just printed more. That's all we did. So there's more circulation, which means there's more for you. But at some point, we've got to pay that stuff back. At some point. Now, I'm not an economist. I'm just a guy who knows how to balance his own checkbook. Not to mention that we aren't the only debtor nation to ourselves. My point is, I just said, God, I do not want to be the group of people that are always asking for stuff because we have a $50,000 mortgage every month we have to pay on $7 million. I don't want to be that. I want to be the people who are able to give to those who are hurting in the days to come. Now, did I have a word from God? I don't know. All I know is that it sounded like a good idea at the time. And it still sounds like a really good idea to me today. And so we've decided to build with cash. So if we don't have commitments and or money, 
by July 15th, we'll let it sit because we're going to wait for the money to come in. God's going to do it. And we'll go to seven services. Lord, help. No. <laughs> Lord, help. Let's pray. But God, I'm asking for your grace and mercy upon the people that you would empower and bless everyone I'm here. Inspire them about what they can give.